Have you ever felt like the cards were stacked against you? You just felt like no matter what you tried, it wasn't going to work out. just wasn't going to pan out. Gideon felt that. And we're going to talk today about Gideon's enchanting encounter, an encounter he had with the Lord that changed his life. And I'm convinced that many of us in this room have had enchanting encounters, and that's why you keep coming back for more, because you're hungry for more of that. So I'm going to read this story. We're in Judges chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that that, that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, And from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, not from the staff, from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. This is a good experience, not a bad one. Good things are going to come out of this encounter. So I want to share seven lessons we learned from this. And i got to go kind of quick because the clock keeps ticking whether I tick or not. Number one, God will camp on your territory. The angel of the Lord came 
and sat down under an oak that belonged to, and it mentions who it belonged to, sat down under an oak. It was an oak that everybody understood. So what's the significance of sitting down under an oak? What could that mean in the spiritual sense? Under an oak is where covenants are made. That's happened right up to American history. Under an oak is where covenants are made, where they would sit sit down. An oak provides a lot of shelter. Jacob offered all the foreign gods that his family had. When he had his enchanting encounter with God, Jacob realized he needed to do something, so he collected all the foreign gods that his family had collected, and he took them out to an oak, the oak of Seshem, and buried them under the oak. It's a covenant. Joshua set up a large rock as a memorial of the covenant God had made with him, and he set that large rock under an oak. So we're seeing a pattern here. We're seeing under an oak as it represents covenant. And so this angel comes and sits down under the oak that belonged to a leader in the area. Did you ever think God might come along and sit down under your oak and stake claim on your territory? That's where I want to be. I want God to come sit down under my oak tree, sit down under my property, sit down on my possessions, sit down on my ministry. I want the Lord to come and sit down on what belongs to me, my territory, and I want him to take control. That's called lordship. I don't just want him to bless me when I want to be blessed. I want him to take possession of my stuff, of my life. Here's the second thing. I've got to move on. God isn't limited by your struggles. Gideon certainly had struggles. He's threshing wheat in the wine press. There's two opposites here. How do you thresh wheat? You take it up on a high place where you've got a cross ventilation, where you have breeze. You take it up and you beat on it to separate the wheat from the shaft, and then you pick it up and you throw it up in the air. And the heavy wheat will fall straight down, and the cross breeze will blow away the shaft. So you pick it up again, and the same thing happens until the shaft is out of the way and you've got wheat. That's how, that's how a combine works today. It's got a big fan, and it just generates breeze, and so it can separate the wheat from the shaft. You've got to be in a high place for that to work. He's down in a wine press. Now, a wine press is how you process wine. They would take this, the, the grapes that they would, the clusters that they would collect, and they would put it down in a pit. And then they would get down in there, taking their shoes and socks off, of course, and mash the grapes. And they would just go around and around and mash the grapes till the juice would come out of the grapes, and then they would collect that. That's the wine. You had to be down in a pit to make that happen. That didn't happen very good up on the hilltop. Two separate kinds of harvest. Here Gideon is down in the wine press hiding. You see this? He's hiding down in the wine press where he can't get any cross ventilation because he's afraid of the enemy stealing his goods. So he's 
throwing this up down in the pit. Doesn't work very good. I've been at those places where what I was doing wasn't working very good. I know you've never been there, but I've been there. So, he's hiding. Why do we hide? I jotted down three reasons why people hide. Number one, because we're afraid. Sometimes we hide things because we're afraid of people's reactions. That's exactly why a lot of people will not take the first step toward deliverance. They cannot confess their past, their failures, because they're afraid of the reaction of the people they tell. That, for us Christians, that, that's, that's not good. We've got to help each other deal with the past so that we can move into the future. We shouldn't be afraid. Somebody Once somebody knows that I'm the real me, they won't like me anymore. Hey, the real me isn't very likable. I need Jesus in me. Jesus is likable. Another reason people hide is because we really want to deceive. We're trying to deceive. So we don't, we don't tell the whole truth. Like somebody trying to sell an old car that they know has a problem, and you don't want the customer to know your car has a problem. So you kind of deceive. You don't tell them the whole truth. Uh, and the th- third reason is because we're ashamed. We're just ashamed. So we hide things in our life because we're ashamed. We don't want anybody to know. So here is the coward, Gideon, hiding down in the wine press, trying to thresh wheat. Cowardice comes from getting your eyes on the enemy instead of on your destiny. Your destiny is where you're going to go. It's where you want to go. That's your destiny. But you get your eyes on the enemy, and you see all kinds of obstacles, and you're dead in the water, and you can't move on. So the only natural thing to do is hide in the wine press to deal with your fear. The truth of the matter is that we should all grab a hold of is when the enemy steals your, your blessing, the blessing that God gives you, and the enemy steals it away, that's just ticks God off. Because if God wants to bless you, but the enemy steals it, you then can't pass it on. It looks like God isn't keeping his promises. So that ticks God off. God wants to prosper us. He wants what we touch to expand and grow and flourish. All right, so God isn't limited by your struggles. Here's the third principle. God sees what can be. The angel of the Lord comes and looks down in the pit. He sees Gideon down there hiding, kind of peeking up over the top, making sure there's no enemy coming. Like a a squirrel. Works away at his his prey and then stand up and look around, make sure nothing's coming, and then go back at it again. Always afraid. Always afraid there's a predator coming up. So the angel comes and looks at the coward down in the pit. And he calls him mighty warrior. God sees what can be, not what is. His condition is he's in the pit. 
but his position is he's a mighty warrior. But Gideon doesn't know that yet. Gideon's got to discover this. God, God is speaking to what can be, not what is. And when God shows up in your life, he is seeing what can be with you, not what is. He's not interested in the mess that's happened in your life up to now. He's interested in the, the glory that can be once you get on top of that. He's always interested in your future. So Gideon must have looked around at that mighty warrior thing. Who, me? You talking to me? I'm the coward down in the pit. Yes, I'm talking to you, Gideon. Gideon doesn't see it. The Lord sees it. You can't see it, but the Lord sees it. God's got good plans for you and good plans for me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 in the New King James says, explains faith like this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Once I have it in my hand, it doesn't take faith anymore. It's when I don't have it in my hand, but I believe it's going to be there, that's what faith is. So for the angel of the, Lord, of the Lord to come and show up in that pit and call Gideon mighty warrior is faith. God is the faith or. I think I made up my own word there. But you know what I'm talking about? He's the demonstrator of faith. He's the one who's modeling faith. God has faith in Gideon, and he has faith in you, and he has faith in me. And why should God have faith in me? I haven't earned it. Because he knows I'm his only hope. He makes investments in us, in you and I. Yes, I can say no, and God will call somebody else. If you say no, God will just call somebody else. But God must have somebody else. God's got to have somebody that'll say, here I am, send me. And all Gideon's doing is arguing the point. But that doesn't affect God's faith. Here's number four. God isn't defined by your doubts. As a matter of fact, if you are a giant of faith, God probably can't use you because you have a spirit of pride. I know people like that. Every time you talk to them, they talk about how much faith they got. And I'm wondering if it's, if it's really their faith. Because I have a whole lot of faith, but I know better than to boast about it. That just pulls the rug out from under the faith thing. Jonah had an enchanting encounter with God in the belly of the big fish. Not the place you'd expect to have a glorious encounter with God. But you see, he was running from God. He had an encounter with God. He didn't like what God was asking him to do, so he ran away. He went the opposite direction from what God was asking him to do, running away from God. Anytime God calls you and you run away, you can expect to meet him again because he's coming after you. Right, Anita? He comes after us. 
He won't let us out there. He's coming after us. And he ended up in the belly of the big fish. We remember the story. And he finally had that broken, humble communication with God. And he said, okay, God, I get it. And the big fish vomited him up on the shore. He must have been a sight. He must have been a mess. See, when somebody gets delivered, there's typically a big mess they got to clean up. They got to get out of. God isn't defined by your doubts about him. He knows who he is. In 1941, the world was in a mess. Hitler was making great advances all across Europe. The Imperial Japanese Army were making advances all across the South Pacific. And the United States didn't want to make a commitment. The United States said, it's not our war. Why should we get involved in their war? And the problem got bigger and bigger and bigger. And America just was apathetic until we got mad. When we got mad, we decided to do something about it. And we went to war with both monsters at the same time and won. Somebody's got to get mad or nothing gets done. God, help us get good and mad. We need to get mad about something, some injustice, some unfairness, something that's just rotten, something that's just, just, just despicable to the core. We need to identify what those things are that make us mad, and we need to get mad enough to do something about it. Then we can conquer the giant. Then we can overthrow the enemy. But God is not defined by your doubts. So don't say, I can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. We're listening to the wrong voice. We need to listen to the voice of God who wants to do something different. All right, here's number five. God sees ascending as a launch. Haven't I sent you? Well, I haven't done anything yet. I'm still arguing. I'm still giving you my excuses. Haven't I sent you? You haven't gone, but I have sent you. I expect you to move. I expect you to do something, not sit there and come up with excuses why that doesn't work. And Gideon is coming up with excuses why that's not going to work. Haven't I sent you? Haven't I given you a commission? Aren't you under orders already? Aren't we as the church under the Great Commission already? So God could sit here, stand here, and say to us, haven't I sent you? We're already sent. We don't have to wait for God to send us. We've already been sent. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups, the whole world. That's our commission. Well, Gideon doesn't seem to have much strength, but the angel says, go in the strength you have. Did you catch that? I need more strength and then I can go. No, no, no. You go in the strength you have. You see, strength multiplies when you go. Strength doesn't multiply first and then you go. 
You go with the strength you have, and it grows as, as you serve, as you do it, as you take action, as you move. takes action. God sees sending as a launch, and he's already, he's already hit the button. And the rocket of faith is already taken off. I mean, it's, once, they hit, once they fire those rockets up, it's too late. You make, sure, you make sure you got all your ducks in a row first, and then you hit the launch button. Okay, here's number six. God is patient with our objections. I love this because I got a whole bucket full of objections. Why me, God? Can't you find somebody with more money than me? Somebody with more smarts than me? Somebody that looks better than me? Can't you find anybody better than me, Lord? I would rather just sit out there in the middle someplace and listen to a good sermon. I don't like being in the middle of the battle. Well, Lord, I can't go because I, my family is weak. My family is way down the line of importance, and I'm the weakest in my family. You see me out here hiding down in the pit, coward as I am? Can't you find somebody else more equipped, more better prepared, more better qualified than me? And the angel said, I'll go with you. In other words, I'm going to give you a new family. I'm going to give you a new father. Your father may have been weak. I'm going to give you one who's not. Your family may be of disrespect, but I'm going to give you a family that has great respect. I'm going to put you in a new family. I'm going to go with you. You're afraid of what's going to happen when you get over there? I'm going with you. I'm not afraid. I just need somebody to go, Gideon. And he's saying that to us. I just need somebody to go. I'll go with you. I'll give you a new family where you can get connected, where you can belong. But why me? Isn't there somebody better? And this isn't in the, this isn't in the story, but I like to elaborate on stories a little bit. And I can just imagine the Lord saying, why you? Because you're the one who understands what it's like to thresh wheat in a wine press. You're the one who understands what it's like to be afraid you're going to lose what little you have. You're the one who's afraid that this, this sin in your life is going to overwhelm you. You're the one I need to send because you identify with my people. God needs somebody who will identify with the people, with the sinners, with the lost crowd. God needs somebody who can see both sides, a mediator who can understand God and His holiness and understand man and our weakness at the same time. That's exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. But Gideon was before Jesus. So Gideon, in this aspect... Is a, is, is a type or a representative of Jesus Christ. Someone who is human enough, he doesn't want to go, doesn't think he's qualified, but somebody who's human enough that God knows, this, this is exactly who I need. This is exactly what I need here. Lost my place. Oh yeah, number seven. 
God confirms his word. Didn't want to stop that story till we saw that God confirmed his word. And so Gideon goes in and he prepares a meal and he brings it back out and he offers it to the Lord. And the Lord tells him to put it on a rock, pour out the broth, and then he touches the meat with his staff and fire flares out of the rock and consumes the sacrifice. That is a miracle. That is a sign following. Signs will follow. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18 in the New Testament says, and these signs will follow those who believe. And he doesn't qualify the the who, who's, who it's going to follow, except they believe. They're people that believe. So you and I can fit in this. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. These signs will follow. Doesn't say these signs will lead, these signs will follow. Somebody's got to go and do it, and then the sign follows. We don't follow signs, signs follow us because we believe. So Gideon presented a sacrifice first, then the sign followed. I think if Gideon had not offered a sacrifice, I don't think the sign would have followed. And that's what I thought was so cool when Michael shared what he did, because I knew how the story ended, signs following. And he was talking about signs following, but there needs to be repentance first. There needs to be an action first. Then the signs of God follow. If we want to see miracles There's got to be some action first. And then the signs follow. So we don't have the time to read the rest of the way through the story of Gideon, but Gideon keeps balking. Well, God, this is a great sign, but if it's really you, could you give me this other sign? And when God gives him the other sign, he says, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good. But God, if it's really you, could you give me one more sign? Three signs God has to give him. He's just like me. He's just like us. Because we have a hard time just thinking God could use somebody like me. And yet we have story after story after story of enchanting encounters people have had with God where he used them and he gave them hope where they didn't have any hope. Amen, Pastor. Good job. I preached myself to victory this morning. Let's stand, stand together. Stand together. So what, what's this talking about? What's, what's, what's the application? What's the take home? Uh, what, what do we do now? We have to take some action. Haven't I already sent you? He's already sent us. We don't have to, to go on the mission field. The mission field is where you work every day. 
The mission field is the neighborhood you live in. I mean, those people are messed up. The mission field is in your backyard. It's where you live. These are hurting people that desperately need the good news. Who can go for God? Who's going to go give them the good news? It's got to be us. And if we all took that literally, and we all went back into our, our places of employment, and we began looking the expression on our face like we were believers, people full of faith, if we carried ourselves like we were the ambassadors for Christ, that we were children of the living God, it would be visible and people around us would see that and it wouldn't be long before they're going to come and say, what's different about you? Or they're going to say, would you, would you, would you pray for my rebellious teenage son? I don't know how to help him. I just don't know how to help him. And you get a chance to pray. And that's the connection with God that they really need. I'm preaching myself again. I'm trying to shut down. I'm trying to stop this. Time, my time's up. Lord, thank you for this wonderful story of Gideon the coward who God sees as a mighty warrior. Father, I'm sure as you look at us, you see a whole lot of cowards. You see a whole lot of losers. But God, I pray in spite of our condition, you will help us see our position. Help us to live above our circumstances, not under them. And help us to be the people you've called us to be. And let our light shine to a lost world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.